Blog Talk Radio. Well, hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to FixTheNation.com. Um, yes, John Jensen right here broadcasting you live on the radio on this wonderful night. Um, so a couple quick things. Um, yes, still in the race for U.S. Senate for the state of New York. As a writing candidate, John Jensen, write in your protest vote now today on the early ballot or on November 8th. Feel free, you New Yorkers, just pull that trigger. That's what I'm talking about. But the question is why? Why would you do that? Why would you jump ship? Why would you get off the couch and pull a lever? Why would you vote for a total stranger? Why would you go from what you knew, which was a Chuck Schumer, 18-year run, why would you dump that? Why would you up Chuck? I love that phrase. Why? Tonight we start to peel that onion. And that is my phrase. Peel the onion. The more you peel an onion, the more you cry. You know that, right? And that's a little like politics. It's a little like where we are in America today. If you think that anybody has the magic pill, silver bullet, you're wrong. There's a versions of truth, and there's versions of reality, and there are paths to whatever reality you choose to pick. No, I'm not a philosophy major from Santa Barbara from the 60s. But, why do I say it that way? Because I say it, what you choose is what you get. That's what voting means. What you choose in fact, what you get. Okay, let's slow this train down just a little. You get to pick a president. You pick Hillary, who blatantly is corrupt, has lied, been deceitful, etc. Benghazi had people die on her watch and didn't even respond. That's your choice. Or you pick Trump, who's bombastic, awkward, offensive, although honest, he's, he's just tough to swallow. But he offers you a different path than you have today. Not a great choice. I give you that. Lindsey Graham was on today, I believe. And, no, Larry Lindsay, I take the back, Larry Lindsay. And he made a great step, statement. Some effect of the question is the lesser two evil. The question is the evil that will hurt you more, the evil that will, will cause the more pain, something along that line. And he goes, in this case, it's not even close. See, that's a really interesting twist. Because the lesser two evils, you can debate the point. But the one that will hurt you most, you cannot make that decision. You, you, it's not, it's, there, there is no decision. She's, she's, she is, by definition, nothing you would ever want as a president. And that's not me talking. That's everybody for 30 years talking. Okay. But this tonight, tonight is not about 
the national scene. It is much more about the U.S. Senate seat for the state of New York, which I'm running for as a writing candidate. I think you should dump Chuck Schumer. Why? He's at 18 years. He's done nothing for the state of New York. Okay, made that case last week. Check the archives, listen to the show. I am not a millionaire. I am not a billionaire. I'm not an elitist, an establishment, a career politician. I don't want to be a politician. Oh, question. And why are you running? Because no one else is. You know what offends me even more than Chuck Schumer? The fact that Wendy Long sits on her couch and doesn't even campaign. I happen to be a Republican. I've yet to see one single ad from her. It's late October and, and the election is in two weeks. Seriously? So you get the primary vote, then you go to bed? I got a tip for you. New York deserves better. And I'm willing to fight that fight. Okay? So is America, by the way. We have issues, in case you haven't you know, been paying attention. And we need leadership. We need decisiveness. We need a, kind of a fresh take on it all. But here's, here's the problem. You don't have leaders. You have establishment people getting paid. There's a difference. People who are getting paid to kick the can down the road are not leaders. They're benefactors. They're, they're I don't know, parasites. But they're not people who are leading. Leaders make difficult decisions. You know what I want my you know what I truly want from a great leader? I want someone to step in front of a camera, look me right in the eye, and say, you know what? Social Security will be bankrupt in thirteen years. So we need to change course. Here's my plan. This is what I think we should do, and this is why. But I'm put that to the states. I want the states to kick that around. I want people to talk about it. I want Congress to get together. Let's come up with a committee and come together with a great solution so we can fix this problem that's going to hit us in the forehead in 13 years. But in 100 days, we make a decision. Good, bad, and differently, we make that decision. There's no version we let this go undone because we won't do that to our kids. I'd love for someone to say that. You know why? Because no one ever has and no one ever will. Because if a politician ever said that, they'd never be reelected. And that's the rub of the rub and the root of the root. That, my friends, is the problem. Way too many career politicians. Now, I'm going to say that one more time. Way too many career politicians. Which brings me back to Chuck Schumer. 41 years in government service. Professionally on the public dole. Perfect resume, I might add. I have a horrific resume. He has a great resume. The reason you want him in office is because he's gone to all the right schools, knows all the right people. He won't do what's right by you, but that's okay. He has a pretty resume. That's what's important. Sorry if I got a little over the edge right there, but you understand my point. Got a tip for you. 
do you care? Really? What dress your wife is wearing or, your, you know, clothes your husband has on? Do you care how much they love you in their heart of heart, soul of soul? Do you really care about the personality of your president or senator? you care about what they do for you? It is not difficult, people. In 18 years of Chuck Schumer, ask yourself a simple question. What has he done for you? Oh, well, the planet hasn't spun off into the sun. Well, we got that going for us. He voted for Obamacare and burdened us. He unleashed Glass-Steagall, voted it down. From 1933, he unhinged this to let the banks and the investment banks become the same entity. I will segue from 98 up to 2008 when we had the financial meltdown and just let you do the math. By the way, guess who voted for Dodd-Frank? The new financial burdensome regulation package. Yep, Uncle Chuck. No tax reform, no criminal justice reform, no immigration reform, no education reform. More debt than you can count. I got a tip for you. He got in office in 1998, if my math is correct. And you know what we have today? A $20 trillion budget. That's on his head alone, but I got a tip for you, people. He was there when we had a surplus, and we have a $20 trillion debt now. You think he was along for the ride? I haven't heard him kicking and screaming. And he's in the Hillary camp. He wants more taxes. He wants more regulation. He wants bigger government. So it's not going down because of Chuck Schumer. It will go up because of Chuck Schumer. So let me get this right. The guy who takes money from billionaires and millionaires, who's funded by people more from outside the state than inside this state, who does nothing for the middle and lower class of New York, wants to represent us, and you're going to pull the lever for him? Why? That was a real question. If I sound upset, I apologize. But understand the context. You're voting for someone who does nothing for you while you decide consciously not to choose a different path. National election, easy example. You have two binary choices. Pick the status quo, Hillary Clinton, and say $20 trillion in debt, no problem. Let's keep going. I want bigger government, higher taxes, more regulations, more of a burden. We're good with that and slower growth. Less jobs. Bring it on. Hillary Clinton, she's, she's mine. Or we choose not that path, and we go down the Donald Trump path, and we decide we're going to try this whole pro-growth, less taxes, less regulation, less burdensome government mentality. You know, like Kennedy and Reagan did that was brutally, wonderfully successful. Funny how not one Democrat has mentioned the name of Kennedy 
this calendar year. Not one. Because they can't. He did something that was successful that makes them look horrific. The funny part is, Lyndon Johnson actually enacted that after his death. So his idea came after he uh, left our uh, Earth. That being said, let's go back to the point of this. The point of today is to start making distinctions on, oh, I'm going to call it issues. One of my frustrations with the debates was we got into a whole bunch of personality crap. You know, she's this, he's this, she's this, he's this. You know what? I really don't care. Take your person. Take your personality. Throw it out the window. In the end of the day, I don't live in the Oval Office with you at all. I don't live with you as a husband or a wife. I don't get to step and fetch around you. In the end of the day, I only care about one thing. What have you done for me and mine? In the end of the day, have your policies made us better as a country or worse? Now, we can decide shades of gray. We can you know, debate over that. But that's the only thing that matters. To that, everyone I think would agree. So tonight, here's my attempt. Because, no offense, Chuck Schumer has not even begun to campaign because he doesn't have to. He raised $20 million plus dollars and is on easy straight. He will win in a landslide because the sheep of New York will reelect him back in unless you choose differently. Winnie Long is a complete non-factor. She raised $150,000 and isn't even in the race. That's embarrassing in a different way. I won't go quietly. I will not go silently into that good night. I refuse. I deserve better. My kids deserve better. The state of New York, for dang sure, deserves better. And for that, I stand and deliver. So here's my best attempt. What we don't have a lot these days is, what should the national government, federal, be doing for us to resolve certain core things? Tonight, the economy. Okay? And I'm going to use a really simple phrase that Hillary's husband, Uncle Bill, okay, used. It's the economy, stupid. Remember that phrase? Oh, it was really catchy back then. Okay? And as long as you have, you know, the Y2K millennium bubble, you know, to accelerate an economy, as long as you have a Newt Gingrich and the Republicans keep you in line financially, yeah, you're looking like a rock star. You think he did it by himself? Pay attention. But it is, in fact, the economy, stupid. The number one driver in this election is, and I'll say it again, it's the economy, stupid. Okay? And that's not you, stupid. That's to all of us, if, if you don't understand it's the economy, what are you? Yeah, you're not really all there, are you? So here's our best shot. Okay? Tonight, my version of what I would like to do for the economy. If you elect me to the U.S. Senate, here is where I'd like to take us. And it's complicated. I'm going to go through a series of measures. Okay? But... It's complicated. I'm going to say that for a very simple reason. 
there's fiscal responsibility. I'll, I'll, I'll literally spell that out. Tax policy. I'm going to spell that out. Job creation, health care, energy. But there's other stuff that ripples through it. Things like the Fed, education, national security, immigration, criminal justice, entitlements, environmental issues. Okay, I say it that way for a reason. We are at a, a turning point in this land of Lincoln, in this, this Americana of ours. You cannot just say, you know what, I'm going to raise taxes on the rich. And you think that gets it done. If you think that gets it done, you're a moron. Not close to being done. Let's do some simple, simple math really quick. We bleed $500, sorry, $500 billion a year, every year. Obama never balanced his checkbook. Couldn't do it. Doesn't want to do it. He wants bigger government. Okay, number two in the hit parade, $20 trillion in debt. Four more trillion in debt at the Fed. So now $24 trillion in debt, bleeding half a trillion dollars every year. That's what our president gets to step into. Why? Because no one decides to step up and make a real big boy or big girl decision about what needs to get fixed. Yes, if I sound upset, I am. And I speak for the entire population of America that says, I don't get it. My kids struggle. I struggle. You're burdening the next and the generation after because you don't make decisions today. It's offensive to me and to mine. Everyone on the planet of America says that back to you, Washington, D.C. You're lunatics, and you need to be stopped. Now, is that rhetoric? Yeah, of course it is. But the simple version is, that's why, why do you think this is the year of change? You think that's a spontaneous combustion moment? You think that's just, oh, well, whoop, you know, we, we, we look grumpy. No, we didn't wake up grumpy. Okay. This has been building over years and years and years and years. I personally have been doing Fix Nation for five years. You know why? Because I got so frustrated for, with government that they wouldn't make a decision, that they wouldn't deal with the reality of what was. They couldn't solve things. It's right there. Then it hit me. I talked to my congressman. But the people in power have the solutions. They choose not to do them because they'd lose their base, couldn't get elected, and they couldn't raise money. Translation, they'd lose their jobs because they did the right thing. And that, my friends, is the rub of the rub of the root of root and should offend everybody who hears this real message. That should never happen. That's offensive to the very essence of politics in America. We elect people to do what's right for all of us. Right, left, center for all of us. 
That's what the job means. If you don't do what's right for all of us, don't take the job. My biggest insult that I have taken from Barack Obama is the fact that he's been an ideologue for eight years. He has never, ever thought about doing the right thing for all of us. He wants only his agenda, focuses on his agenda, drives his agenda, talks about his agenda, deals with his agenda, and will only negotiate if you come to his side for his agenda. That's a ridiculous platform. Ideologues should never be in politics. Pragmatic people should be in politics. Bill Clinton was pragmatic. Reagan was pragmatic. Kennedy was pragmatic. You cannot be an ideologue and be a president. Because the very split second you get elected, stand in the middle of the aisle, take your party pin off, pull from the right, pull from the left, get everybody back together again. That's the job. If you can't make the art of the deal, don't take the job. Let's go into this. Economy. Because that, once again, that's right. It's the economy, stupid. Say with me. It's the economy, stupid. Come on, you know we only have it. All right, so fiscal responsibility. Let's go kind of work through this. We'll discuss a little bit. Okay? The reality party, it's kind of what I call myself, supports smaller federal government under 18% of GDP, gross domestic product. Supports eliminating deficit spending by federal government. Supports reducing the national debt each year until it's eliminated. Supports lower taxes to enlighten the burden on Americans and supports a strong dollar policy to protect the wealth and the value in America first. The reality party supports a balanced budget amendment for America. That's a summation. Okay. Nice little paragraph, wonderful, woulda, coulda, shoulda. Okay. Here's the details, though. Okay. Let's work through some of these. Promote and pass a balanced budget in year one using 95% of the prior year's spending as a target. Let's t- walk that one through a little bit. You spent $4 trillion, 95%. Okay. We're going to knock that 5% off. Spend 5% less. Each year, 5% less of spending. Okay. But you hold the line with what, when you make a decision, you hold that line. If not, there's a penalty in the next year. So everyone has a budget, and you need to hit that budget. That's, that, that's, it's not negotiable. It's like running a business. It's like running a household. I've got 200 bucks. You can't buy 300 in food. You've got to buy 200, right? You've got $1,200 in your pocket. Rent's 800. You've got 400 left to spend. You don't negotiate rent. It doesn't work that way. Not in real life. Repeat the process for four years until the government spending to a maximum of eight. Uh, to a maximum of 18% of GDP. Promote and pass a balanced budget measurement for the years moving forward. Okay. Downsize the spending and scope of federal government critical in, a, in attaining 18% GDP growth, or goal, rather. Consolidate the number of departments and cabinet offices from 16 down to 8. So here's my, here's, here's my platform. Ready? Combine labor, commerce, HUD, and transportation, and make up the Department of Domestic Commerce. Think of all the bureaucracy crap we could eliminate 
because we just simply got efficient at the management level, at the upper echelon. Not one service gets eliminated. Just that upper bulk crap of the paperwork pushers, the bureaucrats, the people who attend parties and functions, you know, the big money people. Let's make that go away. Combine defense and veteran affairs. So we'd have the, Def- the Department of Defense and Military Affairs. Now, see, what I think is when you go in the military, it's a seamless transition from start till the end. You're in military service, you're decommissioned, and you become a veteran. But it's a seamless transition because one department hands you from start literally to end. You enter the military, you should never leave because one department handles the incomplete transition. And we can combine the, like the health care services for the military and the post-military function. Why can't those be identical? What's wrong with that? Good for thought. Okay, combine interior, agriculture, and energy, and get the Department of Natural Land and Resource. Because, again, a lot of these things, we're dealing with parks, agriculture, energy, these are all things about our land under on. This, this isn't difficult, people. These are a lot of people that have redundant management capacity. Let's get lean and mean. Because, again, we're not cutting back on the park services or cutting back on the energy services or cutting back on agriculture. We're cutting back on the management crap that we don't need to have three different versions of. Reduce the Department of, Department of Education to an advisory panel and eliminate all man, uh, unfunded mandates and just shift block grants back to the states. Transition, uh, translation. You know what's going to happen? The states would have more money to go do what they want to go get done in their states. I want you to think about that. I'm going to say it real slow. Right now we oppress them with 500 more unfunded mandates to force them to do things they don't want to do, to not give them money for things they don't want to do, to give them not time and not money for things they do want to go do. That explains, in a nutshell, why we're number one in the world in our spending and education and why we're 25th to 30th in the world in the results of our educations. That's not a bash on teachers, not a bash on administrators, not a bash on our kids. It's a bash on the system that is broken in education in America. Fix it and let's move on. But the federal system of education in the, in the United States is in fact broken. Move on. Reduce the EPA to an advisory panel. And again, shove it back to the states. Empower them. They get to self-regulate. If West Virginia or Texas or California or New York or Maine wants to be really high or really low, that's their choice. But no offense, that's not my choice. I live in New York. I don't live in California. What do I care what they do? But they should care. If they want to be really high, why should I have to pay the burden of that? If they want to protect a lizard, God bless them. But that might, might, not, might not be important to me in New York, in Ohio, in South Carolina, in Oklahoma, right? We have different priorities. And it's very, very, very odd that one 
controls the rest as opposed to the bigger group decides for the group. Right? That's just fair being fair. I would leave State, Department of Justice, Treasury, Health and Human Services, Homeland Security alone. Um, use any or all surplus from the pro-growth tax revenues to pay down the national debt. Because, again, when you scale back spending and you accelerate an economy, that surplus gap, that's got to attack the federal national debt. That's what it's designed for. Got to bang away at it. You cannot just let this thing always go up. At some point, you have to make the turn, and that turn is huge symbolically. That means our dollar gets stronger. It means our other nations around us look at us differently. We feel different because now the earth literally spins around us as the number one superpower, the number one consumer nation, the number one producer on the planet that also becomes starts to become anyway, a creditor nation again, as opposed to a debtor nation, okay, which is Banana Republic, you know, in waiting. Audit the Fed, create and publicize the exit strategy and time frame to reduce the $4 trillion balance sheet, regain the AAA rating for the U.S. internationally and maintain that, okay, given the fact we are the Reserve currency for the world. Isn't it a little odd that we don't have a AAA rating because we police ourselves? We can't handle our own books. We can't make good decisions. We should be embarrassed and we need to fix it. Promote, protect a stable and strong dollar program to protect American wealth. See, it helps the foreign nations who use the dollar as a reserve currency, but it hurts if we did that but it hurts the multinational corporations who sell abroad. Okay, now that in part, that concerns me, but in part, I really don't care. You know why? We're the number one consumer nation on the planet, and we absolutely need to leverage that. So we buy high and they buy low? That's how the game is played? That's embarrassing. No one should allow that. But see, here's the problem. Our elite, established career politicians, that's what they do. They don't care. It's not their money. It's yours. It's mine. They don't care. They play by a different set of rules. Hillary Clinton, Chuck Schumer, people like this will never, ever, ever, on their wildest dreams, ever have to think about getting another job, having another, you know, health care bill. Yeah, they've got a pension and a health care that's predestined for the established elite in Congress and Washington. All the rules they make are for us. None of the rules they make are for them. You need to clearly understand that. If you do, this game becomes really easy to play because you just get upset and you say, okay, then they can't stay. Correct, they can't. But until you realize that, they're going to stay because they have all the power, all the money, all the media, all the connections, and there's only one thing they don't have, which is you at the ballot box. As long as you don't wake up, as long as you stay completely ignorant of the crap they spoon you and how bad it is for you, they get to keep living life luxury. When was the last time one of them suffered? 
Never. They'll do photo ops. That's about as close as they get. They wear $3,000 suits to things that you and I would have to scrape together money to get cab fare for. Yep. And they don't wear them again. That would be embarrassing. And here's the funny part. Those suits, those dresses, yeah, they're paid for by us. I revisit Simpson Bowles. He's used a framework for the National Debt Reform Package Dialogue. All mergers will be treated as mutual acquisitions to eliminate the tax benefit of this category. Here's the funny part. If you buy somebody, you pay sales tax. If someone's bought out, the other person pays sales tax. But if it's a merger, (laughs) no, it's a wash, you know, not really a true buyer, so no sales tax, we're good. So basically things are always going to be a merger because it's a tax savings maneuver. Yep. I just love when accountants and lawyers use rules of insanity against us. Can't make it up. All foreign corporations will pay 10% purchase tax for any takeover American company. If you want to buy an American company and take it back to England, your headquarters, not a problem at all. Pay us 10% extra. Not to the company, to the U.S. government. Take that money, throw it right against the debt. Oh, well, it's only a couple billion. Couldn't care. Pony up. Call it a VIG. Doesn't matter what you call it. Okay, but there's no way you get to buy U.S. companies without paying a little bit of a surcharge. Okay, translation, we're going to discourage you from doing that. Eliminate pensions for all federal government and agency positions. Replace it with a 401k and a 5% government match. Why would I do that? Because think about this logically. You're in a position anywhere 20 years, 30 years. Then you get a pension for the next 20 or 30 years of your life based on the last couple years that you worked. Who pays for that? Now, the person making your quote-unquote contract today, easy decision. 20 years from now, that person's long gone. You retire. And for the next 30 years, that generation, your kid's kid's generation, is stuck footing that bill. Who in their right mind would ever make that decision if they knew that, in fact, is the outcome? Yet we do it over and over and over again. Makes no sense. For no gain, I might add. People in the public sector, okay, make more than the private sector. That's right. Government is better than the private on a general overall decision. That's ridiculous. Enact right-to-work freedoms for all federal employees. You don't want to be a part of the federal union? Don't. Reduce taxes, stimulate the GDP growth. Higher tax base and a reduced scope of federal government creates a surplus for debt reduction. Raise the national debt ceiling one time to an agreed-upon level. Like right now we're at 20? Let's bump it up to 23. But here's the catch. If it ever breaches 23... Automatic austerity measures go into action. Okay, and that's a hard, drastic cut. So now there's a really, really big hammer out there in the distance. 
It gives us a little bit of freedom, but it makes us accountable for our inactions, which right now we don't have. That would fix a spending issue, because right now we have a spending problem, this gluttony of federal government. So with a fix the revenue and the spending ratio to prevent one-time breach of that, establish hard cuts, austerity plan, you know, if that, the real ceiling is, is breached. Mandate PAYGO, pay as you go, for all legislation and executive orders. If you can't pay for it, you can't pass it. Reform entitlements to make and keep them financially viable in a long-term, fair and balanced way. Okay, so entitlements, you have to deal with them. Social Security, tier the program, uncap Social Security contribution levels past the $118,000 level. Asset screen qualifier, possibly, need-based versus a want-based uh, program. Social Security disability, independently review all Social Security disability claims post-2000 and mandate the independent yearly doctor evaluation, independently certified and randomly rotated. Combine Medicaid and Medicare to eliminate the waste and redundancy, revamp the patient care and cost burdens. Welfare to workfare, reinstituted from the 90s. Reevaluate the current status of all entitlements, costs, and ability to self-finance. Post publicly for transparency and reduce and reform all for cost efficiency, critical needs. That's a fiscal responsibility piece of my plan. If you were to protest vote me, John Jensen, as a writing candidate for the U.S. Senate from the state of New York, and that is, in fact, my ask, okay? I know it's crazy. I know it's not going to happen, but I do know this. Chuck Schumer will never do what's on this list. Chuck Schumer will never rock the boat. Chuck Schumer will never do more than he does now. Why? Why would he? Most of his donors from outside the state of New York. Think about that. Most of his donors are outside the state of New York. Who is he beholden to then? Not us. Them. He's been in power for 41 years in government, 18 years as a senator. You truly think he has to try anymore? Nope. He just wants to ride it out. There's no reason he'd want to do the right thing by me and you. He's done everything not to do it so far. When's the last time you, you heard him kicking and screaming that taxes are too high? Never. You know why? He wants big government. When's the last time he complained about high regulations? Never. You know why? He wants a big government. Has he complained spending's too high? No, he doesn't complain spending's too high. Spending's fine. Government's big. We're good. He wants to raise revenues and taxes to get there. He supports Hillary Clinton. And whether you like her or not, her policies fail. I'm going to make a really simple statement because we're getting into tax policy. I'll make a statement. Never in the history of the world has someone ever raised taxes and gotten a higher growth rate moving forward. Never, ever, any country, ever. When you raise taxes, things slow. There's less money to cycle. The velocity of money might stay the same, but the amount of money at that velocity is less. It is not complicated. 
So if she raises taxes in any way, things will slow down. Tax policy. The Reality Party supports fair and reduced taxes, simplification and reduction of overall tax code, more transparency and parity in policies without prejudice or special interest exemptions. Taxes should be to provide what we need, not to be an overwhelming greed by bureaucrats to spend money without restraint. Supports the downsizing of federal government size and scope regarding waste, redundancy, and inefficiency to allow for lower taxes with more effective completion of their necessary task, tasks for the taxpayer. Promote past version of the House and Ways Means Chairman Brady a better way reform proposal. Phenomenal proposal, I might add. Okay. I am not a big establishment guy on the GOP side, but I got a tip for you. Really well done. Okay. It needs some tweaks, but it's real close. Add in repatriation one time. That's the money overseas being held. Bring it back home and charge a one-time 15% fee, okay, and dedicate that to small business uh, administration funding for inner-city minority business creation. I'm going to flesh that one out for a split second. You understand that that's how we're going to get poverty dealt with, right? By getting money in the hands of business creation to open up jobs and minds and hope for people who don't have it right now. There's no version of throw them a bone, keep them oppressed, educated, that makes it work. It doesn't work. We've spent trillions over decades and got nothing for it. Ask the National Urban League about that. Ask how failed the policies have been. Ask how desperate they are to turn to a different direction. They're right in every vein except for how to complete it. The Main Street Marshall Plan is correct in the goals. It's wrong in the call it the decision-making philosophy of how to get there. But I agree completely that we need to embrace it and activate it truly, not for a soundbite, not for a photo shoot, and certainly not for votes because we want to get elected and ignore people for four years. That's disgusting. They're human beings who need a help and a little hand up so they can stand on their own legs and pursue the American dream. It's not difficult, people. At an ongoing 5% immigrant income surcharge, at an uncap, um, add the uncap of the Social Security contribution level above the $118,000 level, add a 10% value-added tax on oil and gas exports. See, this is what drives me nuts. We want to export oil. We want to export natural gas. That sounds great. You know what that does, right? We give away cheaper gas and oil to people overseas while it lowers the supply here, and we have to pay up for what's left over. Stop. You want to export it, I'm okay with that. But I want 10% out the door to knock off that national debt. Money's got to come from somewhere. That's found money. So now someone across the seas gets to pay 10% extra for their oil. I don't care. Don't buy it. But if you want to buy it, it's 10% more. And you know what that does? puts it right back in its national debt and starts helping us knock the debt down because we've got to stay focused on that and be vigilant. Change the gas tax from a fixed dollar to a fixed percent. Right now, I want to say it's like 32 cents or something like that on a gallon of gas. We need to stop that and get to a percent. 
let's, let's pretend gas right now is 250 or 225. Take a 15% number. Well, it's 15%. Now as gas goes back to $4, we get more in tax revenue. Now, I'm not a tax guy. I want lower taxes. But something simple happens. When gas goes from 250 up to $4, you know what happens, right? Less people go out to eat because they don't have an extra, any discretionary capital left to spend. So all that money that dries up in the tax dolls, we don't have anymore. But since gas just goes higher, we still only get $0.32. Cents. The money just goes overseas. It's ridiculous. It's a bad policy. Make it a percent, not a fixed dollar, and let's move on. But you have to do it when it's low. Post and publicize all federal taxes and fees. I want to know what I'm paying and why. I want to know what the object is, like how we're going to go away from it. I want to know in 10 or 15 years, how we're going to eliminate that from or reduce it moving forward. Because that should be the goal. Last time I checked, it's our money, not the government's. Work and, uh, to reduce the scope, amount, and burden of taxes strategically and consistently and fairly. Where do most taxes come from and where can we help take the burden off of Americans? That should be the ultimate question for government. Which taxes prevent job creation and causes job loss? Got to eliminate those. You can't do that. We can't tax away jobs. It's insanity. Incentivize great behaviors by giving half percent tax breaks for each of the following benefits achieved. Um, body mass index, cholesterol tax, test, um, smoking versus non-smoking, um, a PAP or mammogram or a prostate exam done yearly, drug, alcohol, caffeine um, tests, etc. Um, incentivize as a reward for living cleaner and helping reduce the strain on health care costs. I want you to think about that. I don't want to penalize people for living their life. That's not my point. But I want to incentivize people who make the right decisions. Why wouldn't you? Right? If you play by the rules, shouldn't you get a benefit to that? If you break the rules, shouldn't you pay a little penalty? That's kind of the difference. Can move on. Job creation. The Reality Party supports an American first position, supports the need to stay current and competitive on an international scale, supports leveraging our position as the world's number one consumer nation, supports realigning of international pricing practices to remove the burden of subsidizing over nation, other nations' costs, supports small business creation and innovation as a core of job creation, supports viewing all bills and regulations as to how they will impact jobs and commerce and supports a pro-growth policy in all aspects of the economy to drive and maintain job creation. It's going to revoke the 100% ex, uh, of executive orders that restrict job creations and, and burden businesses, review and repeal the, all job-restricting regulations, repeal uh, the Dodd-Frank Act completely, promote and pass a new Glass-Steagall Act regarding financial dealings of banks, in all firewalls between investment and savings is a critical one. Reform the tax code to re, uh, incentivize American first hiring and retention. Encourage company headquarters being based in the U.S. and leverage our U.S. productivity levels. Repatriation tax, again, one time, 15% for the Small Business uh, Administration. Dedicated funds for minority inner city business job creation. Healthcare. The Reality Party supports affordable and accessible healthcare based on informed decisions between doctor and patient supports complete repeal of the ACA or Obamacare, supports a real solution to certain issues 
by a national, bipartisan, transparent, interactive process, supports reestablishment of individual ACAs, uh, health care accounts, health spending accounts. The uh, supports tort reform for all aspects of the medical community, supports complete overall pharmaceutical pricing model, patent timing, generic ex- expectation, and supports a patient-first premise to all health care aspects. So again, repeal ACA or Obamacare and replace it certain aspects of it. Eliminate state board limitation of insurance pricing and create true national private platform option. Create small business or sole proprietor group plan levels within the national or regional platform options. Protect all from elimination of the coverage due to a pre-existing condition. Consider merging Medicare and Medicaid for cost savings by limiting, again, redundancy of government. Unlock and reprice prescription drug cost savings for Medicaid and Medicare. Develop a patient-first health care model for simplicity of use and streamlining of costs. Develop and institute a formal patient rights platform and also clarify what isn't a right but a choice and allow it to be paid for by the person. Reestablish pre-tax ACAs, HCAs. Extend the length of patents for original patent of medicines prior to release for generic. Reduce the amount of markup on those original and force pricing gap between originals and generic pricing. Flatten the cost of drugs worldwide. Currently, the U.S. pays much more to offset the pricing uh, for other countries, which is brutally unfair, I might add. Develop an international quality slash pricing model to provide access for safe international prescription drug purchases. Lastly, energy policy. The Reality Party supports value-added tax on all energy exports, supports reinvigorating the power grid in a public-private partnership, supports regional energy refinery hubs, supports reducing then eliminating energy subsidies completely, and supports energy independence from foreign sources. Promote and pass an energy reform package, combination of short and long-term goals and pathways. Two, establish a 10% value-added tax on oil and gas exports. We talked about that earlier. Again, that knocks down the national debt. Eliminate all energy subsidies. Redirect those funds to upgrade the energy infrastructure long-term. Eliminate regular 87-octane as a gas option and consolidate the use into a higher octane, which combines reducing the production costs with environmentally friendly approach. Develop a a public-private partnership to reform and update the electric grid. Pursue a regional energy hub platform via private-public partnership. Develop a 6 to 12 regions with energy hubs, refineries, R&D, etc. Set on a current military base to provide national security for this energy infrastructure. Okay, those are the big chunks. Okay, the other things are elements of the Fed. Do you raise the rate or not? Do you have a big balance sheet or not? Because that's the burden, the what if, the uncertainty that the, uh, the economy just can't stand. Education, very, very difficult to create real jobs if you're not creating a labor force that can handle those real jobs. We cannot pay to be number one on the planet and get number 25th or 27th or 30th in the quality of our education. Our education process is broken. We need to fix it, address it, and get better quickly. National security, there's no version of this where the economy can be inspired in fear. Let's say it again. 
You cannot be inspired to have a great economy and feel relaxed and feel light on your feet when you're always in fear. So you have to lock down national security and get us back to where we're having a nice, enjoyable, relaxed life. Immigration, simple statement here. The sad reality that Obama did to us in the last eight years, and I will blame Hillary Clinton for this as well, because Secretary of State handles the visas. We've had mass importations. We have diluted the labor pool at the very time we should have slowed everything down to dry up labor pool to get us back to work sooner. So the fact that they accelerated immigration costs you to be out of work longer. That's a fact. Because they accelerated that, we now have so many people at such an unskilled position, we need to forcibly raise the minimum wage. Here's the ridiculous thought. You want to raise the minimum wage? You know what happens, right? Slow down immigration. Labor dries up. You know what you do? You have to pay up to compete for talent. And labor goes up by itself. The wages go up by itself. Why? Because you can't get it for less. That's the sad part. The very people who opened the floodgates, Obama and Hillary Clinton, are the very people who sabotage the wages on the lower class. How tragic is that? And Chuck Schumer, along for the ride. Yep, never stepped in the way, never said no. Open borders, that's Uncle Chuck. I hope you're getting my point in my drift. Not like I'm subtle. Criminal justice. How many times do we have to go and hear about a shooting in a city or an unfair outcome? We all know criminal justice system has been broken since the 90s. They passed something that was untenable. We need to deal with both the cop side and the convict side, the prison side and the lawsuit side. There's a lot of issues here we have to deal with. But if you just want to wake up and say blue lives matter or black lives matter and think that's going to get it done, you're in for a really hard dose of reality because the anger will only mount because it's in fairness across the board. And everyone is set up for failing. And that's not right in America. That's not how we do things. Police are there to help us. And if that's true, then we're okay. But right now, we can take a hard look at that. And there are people out there that are just criminal. And they need to be dealt with. And they don't deserve marches. And we took a hard look at that. That's not an attack on anybody. It's the reality of what is. Our judges need to find a balance between being activists and making interpretive decisions that are fair and just to the individual case. And then Congress has to rein them back in, okay, or the appellate court, depending on what level we're at, because they only have so much latitude. There are, in fact, checks and balances in place if the establishment ever decided to actually use them. Yes, that was frustration. Entitlements, just discussed before, we're on a pace to just waste the money. Entitlements are the biggest expense of government, and they will need to be reduced. That's a statement. That's not, that's not me wanting it to happen. That's a statement of what needs to happen. Now the question is, will we or will we not have the leadership in place to address it in some way. Environmental issues. The last piece of it is, you know, reducing the EPA. 
Push it back to the state level. Push education back to the state level. Eliminate the cost at the federal level. Get government smaller federally. Get the states to act more independently. They can speak for their constituents a lot better, a lot faster than the federal government. If you do all these things, if you make these changes, you're going to have lower taxes, finance entitlement, faster growth, better jobs, better education, better inner cities. What doesn't work? But it's a collective package you have to consider. That's the economy. It's the economy, stupid, right? We talked about that. My name's John Jensen. I'm running as a write-in candidate for U.S. Senate from the state of New York. And I'm not a perfect resume guy. You want a perfect resume? Go vote for Chuck Schumer. He's your guy. He's the guy with a perfect resume. He'll ignore you. He'll never fight your fight. He'll never have the passion to stand in front of you and talk the talk that I'm talking right now. I'll go anywhere in the state of New York and say exactly what I say today with exactly the same convection I have today today. You know why? Because it's right, it's real. No one that can explain it differently to me without sounding like a lunatic. I want Chuck Schumer to answer a couple of questions. Walk me through how higher taxes make life in New York better. Go ahead. Walk me through how not touching criminal justice reform is good for New Yorkers. Good luck. Walk me through how you think the education for New Yorkers right now is great, given the fact we are number one in expense on the planet, but 27th in the world in the results we get. And you're okay with that because you don't care from Washington, D.C., what we and our kids go through every single day. You get my point. I can keep going. My name is John Jensen. I'm a writing candidate for the U.S. Senate seat for the state of New York. I'd like your protest vote. That's my case on the economy. Okay? If you think Chuck Schumer better addresses your world, go pull the lever and vote for him. That's okay. I want you to go vote. I got a tip for you. If you're going to walk in there and make a learned decision, here's my case on the economy. I'll be back. I have other issues. So tune back in. You can reach me at at Fix the Nation on Twitter. You can reach me at iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio at FixTheNation.com. Okay, my entire archives are there of every show in the last five years. Okay, listen up. I speak freely. Okay, and make make no bones on this. I'm not going away. I'll be here all the way through November 8th. Okay, I want your vote. I want you to put your trust in me on that day, just to show this. He doesn't get away with sitting on a couch and not campaigning with $20 million in the bank because he believes New Yorkers are that easy. We deserve better. You deserve better. I deserve better. And for me, my kids deserve better.